morning, once you've found Matthew chapter 10, I'm going to ask you to stand, because we are going to hear read together the word of the living God. From Matthew chapter 10, beginning in verse 1. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Jesus called his twelve disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. John, John, James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Let's pray together. Father, we ask you now that you would fulfill your promise in us, that you would bless the reading and the hearing of your word. Father, we leave the choice of your blessing uh, to you, how you would bless us through your word. Father, we ask that that blessing uh, would include a transformation of our hearts, a transformation of our lives, Lord, so that we become more the people that you have called us to be, so that our hear, ears hear the instructions that you give to us, so that we go where you lead and say what you, you prompt. We honor you as Lord and King of our lives. Do that in us and through us, we pray, through the power of your Spirit. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. I'm loving being in Matthew chapter 10, obviously. This is week four, and we're still in the first eight verses. But this chapter is like dark, rich soil for us. And it's rich with the truth and instruction for those of us who are believers in Christ, who really, truly want the Lord to use our lives to make a difference in this world in in which we live. And so if you and I will plant ourselves in this truth, if we'll apply the truth that we've already heard just in the last three weeks to our lives, an abundance of growth is going to occur. We will grow personally. The kingdom of God is going to grow. People are going to come to faith. Disciples are going to be made. I don't need to be afraid to make such a bold statement as that, and you don't need to be afraid to believe that that's what will happen. How can that growth not occur? How can that growth not occur when you and I own our identity? Jesus says we are his disciples. We are those called by Christ himself. We are people who have been prepared by the work of the Spirit of Christ. We've been taught by his Spirit the deep truths of God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. How can that produce anything but growth? How can growth not occur when we own our identity as apostles? Lowercase a, not the office apostle, but lowercase a. Those who have been prepared and then those who have been sent out into the world, out with a a message about Jesus. How can growth not occur when you and I are going out as messengers of the gospel? How can we not grow personally? 
And how can the kingdom of Christ not grow when you and I are listening, listening to the Lord through His Word, filled with His Holy Spirit, going where He leads us, saying what He prompts us to say. If we're going where He leads and saying what He prompts, how can growth not occur? How can growth not occur in our lives and in the kingdom of God when we look at our lives and say, Lord, freely, freely I have received from you. You have lavished your grace on me. You've lavished your blessing on my life. And so I, Lord, am going to freely give back what you have so generously given to me. For from you, Lord, through you and back to you belong all things. When we believe like that, when we behave like that, how can growth not come in our own lives, in the kingdom of Christ? All that, we've seen all that, just the last three weeks in Matthew chapter 10. And so what we don't need to do this morning, we don't need to be looking for a a loophole to let us off the hook, just in case we don't see growth. We don't even have to ask here, If this is the Lord's will, why would the Lord send his disciples out? Why would the Lord send anyone out? Why would he say go if he does not intend through our going to see growth in his kingdom? It is the Lord's will that his kingdom grow. It is the nature of his kingdom to grow, period. And And if there is no qualitative growth in our own lives from looking at this truth, And if there is no quantitative growth in new disciples being made, we don't need to first run and hide behind the sovereignty of God and say, well, it's not the Lord's will for me to grow. It's not the Lord's will for his kingdom to grow. We need to ask first, how are we applying the truth of God's word? How are we seeking to obey his word? Even these very instructions that he gives here in Matthew 10. How are we seeking the power of the Holy Spirit to help us? If we can be satisfied that we have done all of that, that we have diligently sought to apply God's truth, that we have wrestled in prayer, then if we don't see growth, then we rest in God's sovereignty. We don't hide behind it. But I'm confident, I'm confident that we're not going to need to do that this morning We're going to look at the very specific message that Jesus told the disciples to speak as they moved out into their world. Look in verse 7. Jesus tells his disciples there, As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is near. That's their message. In his commentary on Matthew, Leon Morris says that in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the kingdom... The kingdom is the most important topic in Jesus' teaching. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the most important topic in Jesus' teaching. And this is not difficult to see, especially if we just look in the Gospel of Matthew. Back in Matthew chapter 3, Matthew introduces us to John the Baptist. He doesn't introduce him like Luke does, telling about all the miraculous and all the supernatural events surrounding the birth of John uh, the Baptist and, and the visitation of the, uh, of the angel to his father, Zechariah, he simply writes this. In those days, in the days when Jesus was off with his family in Nazareth, growing, becoming a man, in those days, 
John the Baptist came preaching in the desert of Judea. That's our introduction to John. And then Matthew records the first words that come out of John the Baptist's mouth, and they are these, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The first words out of the mouth of the man that God sent to prepare the way for Jesus about the kingdom of heaven. Then we look at Jesus. After he was baptized by John, he spent 40 days in the desert. He was fasting, praying, being tempted by the devil. And then Matthew tells us that the devil left him. And angels came and attended him. And when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach. And what did Jesus preach? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Just like John. The first words out of the mouth of Jesus when he began his public preaching ministry were about the kingdom of heaven, that it's near. And then... We see Jesus sending his disciples out for the very first time, their very first ministry trip. And what does he tell them to say? The kingdom of heaven is near. And so you and I can only conclude this, that the kingdom of heaven uh, is important. Knowing what it is, understanding it. If it takes first place in the preaching of John and Jesus and the disciples that Jesus sends out to do ministry. You know, we, we hear Jesus' words here preach the kingdom of heaven is near. And from our perspective, it doesn't sound like a lot of content. You know, here you're going out for ministry the first time and you're supposed to preach and all Jesus says, well, preach the kingdom of heaven is near. Okay, well, that took me just about two seconds to say. You know, we we might think they need a little more information. But remember that when Jesus called the 12 to him, he called them as his disciples. Disciples who had been prepared. They already know about the kingdom of heaven. They have enough information that they can use when they in turn go out and preach about it. Let's go back to John the Baptist. John the Baptist has been called a preacher of imminent doom, a a catastrophe that could only be avoided by a radical turnabout of mind and heart. And we hear that in John's preaching when the Pharisees and Sadducees came out to where he was preaching, came out to where he was baptizing. John said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? You know, that is imminent doom. And so whatever the kingdom is, whatever it is, there's something imminent about it. It's coming. There's something urgent about it. The disciples knew this about the kingdom because they knew John and they knew of his preaching. And so as they go out to preach themselves, we would expect in their preaching uh, a sense of imminence, a sense of urgency about their message. The disciples have heard Jesus teach about the kingdom as well. What we call the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7. Jesus says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Anyone who breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. He taught them to pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus says, seek first 
His kingdom and His righteousness and all these things will be given to you. He tells them, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And so just that teaching that Jesus had given to the disciples, the kingdom of heaven, it's somehow not on earth. It's somehow something that must come to earth. And it seems like it's something that that is a reality right now, but it also seems like as if it's something yet to come. Matthew chapter 13, Matthew records seven parables that Jesus taught, all about the kingdom of heaven. Six of the parables, Jesus begins with these words, the kingdom of heaven is like. Then he describes that kingdom. In Matthew's arrangement of the material, it appears that the parables come after Jesus sent them out. But that's only because Matthew sometimes arranges his material topically and not chronologically. But a harmony of the Gospels, when you put them all together, it becomes apparent that these parables of the kingdom Jesus used, taught, before he sent the disciples out. And this is just one of those parables. In it, there's an owner of a field, and and his servant comes and, and tells him that there are weeds that are growing in the field. Should he pull the weeds up? The master replied, no. Because while you're pulling the weeds, you may root up the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvester, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. And so there here is in this one parable, a future aspect to the kingdom. Something that is not yet. Whole books are written on the kingdom of heaven, let me just tell you. But if we could look in detail at the teaching of John, if we could look in detail at the teaching of Jesus, it would become very clear to us that the kingdom of heaven is something that is both right now and something that is not yet. It's right now because when God himself came to earth in the form and the person of Jesus, the kingdom of God is here. It's here in the words of Jesus. It's here in the actions of Jesus. How could it be otherwise? He's the king of the kingdom and where he is, and he is here now, present through his spirit. Do you believe that? Where he is, there's his kingdom. But the kingdom is also for the future. When the kingdom of heaven will come in its fullness. And the Apostle John saw a vision of that that he records. In Revelation chapter 21, he talks about the new heaven that he sees. The new Jerusalem coming out of heaven as a bride beautifully adorned for a husband. It's that passage that we all love so dearly. When God says, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. We love that, don't we? The kingdom that's yet to come. And so it's both now and it's not yet. Again, Morris writes, the kingdom is something that happens rather than something that exists. The kingdom is closely connected with the person of Jesus. And this is what is in mind with John's use of the expression. He's pointing to the truth that Jesus will shortly appear. And with him, the kingdom. And there's a sense in which the kingdom is future and another sense in which it is present. 
And so for John the Baptist, for Jesus, for the disciples, as they went out, for you, for me, as we go out, we've got to teach both aspects, preach both aspects uh, of the kingdom. Because to reduce it to pie in the sky, by and by, it's just heaven. It's only to tell part of the story. And that trivializes the, the life that we are living right now and what we do with it. It's as if this life is not important because the only thing that really matters is heaven. That's not true. The kingdom of heaven is right here, right now. But not to preach the kingdom in its glorious fullness. You know, and to focus only on the here and now is to rob people of hope and a legitimate, a legitimate motivation for living their lives for Christ, for suffering when they're called to suffer, for sacrificing when they're called to sacrifice because this life is not all there is. Do you believe that? There's something more. There's something better. And so we have to remind ourselves and others of these truths. The kingdom of heaven is right now. And in a sense, it is yet to come. Now, you and I belong to a kingdom. And it's not the United States. It's not any other country that may be represented here this morning. If you claim to be a believer in Christ, if you make that claim, you belong to the kingdom of heaven. And you have a king, not just someday, you have a king right now. Who is your king? Oh, you don't know. Who's your king? Jesus is king. You know, king doesn't resonate with, uh, with Americans. It's a foreign concept to us. And if it does re- resonate with us, it's not in a positive way. Because we know what happened in 1776. You know, we didn't like the king. And so we declared our independence from the king. Because to us, king means taxation without representation. King to us means abuse of power. The king is the man, and nobody likes working for the man. We don't want to put our blood, sweat, and toil and tears into lining uh, the palace uh, uh, of a king with gold or whatever. But Henry VIII or Louis XIV or George II, doesn't matter. They don't represent what a king truly is. Jesus is the true king. And when Jesus stood before Pilate, when he was on trial before him, before he was nailed to the cross, Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews. Yes, it is as you say, Jesus replied. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying I am a king. In fact, for this reason I was born. And for this I came into the world. Jesus was born to be king. His purpose in coming was to be king and to establish his kingdom. It's true. Jesus said, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. Jesus is our savior. Absolutely. Are you happy about that? Without him, we would be eternally lost. But we cannot forget that he also came to be king. And we must see him for who he is. He is our king in your life right now, in my life right now, and not just someday in the future. You have to honor that king because Jesus is a good king. You have to submit to that king, not someday, but right now. 
It must be his way and not your way. And you've got to serve Jesus as king, not just someday in the future, but right now. It's far easier for us to serve ourselves because we do love ourselves just that much. We love to serve ourselves. We love to do what what pleases us. But right now, not someday, we're to serve the king of the kingdom, Christ, the king. There's no escaping it. There is no escaping it. There's not. You and I have to honor our king in how we live our lives right now, not just in the future. We must submit to him. We must serve him. We must obey him right now. A few years ago, there was a debate raging in the evangelical world about whether Jesus must be Savior and Lord or King of our lives. And I have a book on my shelf. It's entitled Christ the Lord. So I pulled it off the shelf this week, and this is what was written on the back cover. Big print. When we accept Jesus as Savior, must we also accept him as Lord? This compelling question is central to a debate taking place among evangelicals. People were debating this point, whether Jesus is Savior and and Lord. It's almost as if Jesus uh, were an item on the menu. The server comes to your table and says, well, what would you like? You know, we, we have plain Jesus. He comes to you just as Savior. Or, you know, if you'd like, you can order deluxe Jesus. He comes to you as Savior and as King of your life. How will you have him? Well, let me see. Today, I think I'll just have Jesus as my Savior. Hold the Lord, hold the King. You know, the Burger King may say, special orders don't upset us. All we ask is that you let us have it your way. That's not what King Jesus says. He's not interested in us having it our way. He's interested in being our King and us doing it his way. Because that's who he is. He's Savior and he's King. And you can't separate the two. You cannot say, and many people do this, and I've done it in my own life, surely enough. Save me, Lord. Be my Savior. But let me live my life just how I want to live it. As King of my own life. No. Jesus was born. He came to earth. He lived the life he lived. He died the death he died to be both Savior and King. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Amen. Jesus said, You are right in saying I am King. In fact, for this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world. And so we've got to do away with the idea. Whether it's fully developed in our minds or just lived out in our actions, That we can have salvation in Christ. Oh, I'm a Christian. I'm saved. But not submit to him. As Lord of our lives. As King of our lives. As if we can have one without the other. Claim him as Savior. Deny him as King. Save me, Lord. Just don't rule me. No. Morris, again, in his commentary, writes, For Matthew, the kingdom refers more to rule. To rule than to realm. That is to say the expression is dynamic. It points to God as doing something, as actively ruling, rather than to an area or group of people over whom he is sovereign. And so you and I, as we go, as we talk about the kingdom, we've got to teach, we've got to preach about the king and his rule over our lives. 
for ourselves and for others. Again, we have to understand that we must submit our lives to our king, obey our king, honor and respect. How do you honor and respect Jesus in your life as king? Serve him as king. That's what it means for your life right now. To have Jesus as your savior is also to have him as your Lord and king because that's who he is. How are you doing with that? Which Jesus are you attempting to order? How is he king of your life? How are you doing with the obedience thing, the honor thing, the service thing? All of us need to examine our lives and ask these questions. But then we've got to hold out the hope. We have to hold out the hope of the kingdom and all its glory and all its splendor. Because that thought captivates our, our hearts and it will captivate the hearts of others as well knowing what is yet to come. Strengthen our faith. Strengthen the faith of others. We'll be encouraged to press on when we think of the glorious coming of the kingdom and its fullness. It will encourage others to press on as well. Revelation 19 pictures Jesus returning as conquering king and on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. He will establish his kingdom. One day. It will be perfect. One day. We will be eternally blessed. One day. We will experience nothing better. We will not want nothing more than to love and to serve and to worship Jesus as our King. He will completely satisfy us. One day. One day. The now... And they're not yet. But for now we say, for now we sing, King of Heaven, we will answer the call. We will follow, bringing hope to the world filled with passion, filled with power to proclaim salvation in Jesus' name and lordship and the kingship of Christ. And then we'll watch for the kingdom of heaven to grow. Let's pray together. Father, this topic about your kingdom, the kingdom that you have established, that you rule, this kingdom that is so important to you, important enough that you send a man to prepare for the coming of the one who will establish his kingdom on earth. Jesus himself preaching about the disciples, the kingdom of heaven, it's so vital for us to understand. Lord, there's so much of it to understand, so many facets of your kingdom. But I pray, Lord, that as we go from this place, that your kingdom would be in the forefront of our minds. Lord, the reality that it is both right now and not yet. It's it's right now, Lord, a reality for those who will turn from their sin, who will confess it before you, will turn in faith to you, Lord Jesus, is the only one who can deal with the sin issue, with the sin problem. The kingdom of heaven is ours. It's a reality right now, and it's something that transforms our lives right now. And I pray that you would keep us mindful of that. Lord, remind us that every kingdom has a king. You are the king, and we've got to love you, serve you, honor you as king. And I pray, Lord, that your spirit would prompt us today at some time in this day to look at our lives 
and look at how we're living and look at the choices we're making and asking ourselves, do we really honor you as king? Or keep us from claiming you as savior and not as Lord. Lord, they go together. And I pray that your kingship, your lordship would mark our lives. Father, we look forward and wait in eager expectation for what will be. Encourage our hearts, even this week, help us to encourage others with the reality that something good is coming, something better is coming, something, Lord, we can't even comprehend, the glory and the goodness of it. Help us keep our eyes fixed on that, because that's where you are, Lord, and that's where we will be forever with you. Help that reality to motivate us, Lord, to live our lives for you, to give our lives for you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.